Good morning, good morning, good morning. You have reached the morning black. And this is our edition of Black History Month uh, recognition. I'm your host, Greg Jones, and I'm here uh, to share some information with you that would hopefully open your eyes to the complexities and the issues and the concerns of the African-American community. Yes, here we are once again in the veil of paradise, 2021, trying to deal with the COVID, trying to deal with the disparity, trying to deal with the issues that confront both small towns and urban areas as we venture into this uh, 20th, 21st year of the year 2000. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I hope you're staying warm. Hope you're staying safe. Hope you're washing your hands and keeping your distance. Hope you get your shot when you can. And I hope the shot's going to do everything it needs to do to keep you healthy and safe. All right, so let's get started. Let's get started. Here we are once again in Morning Black. WVLP 103.1 on your FM dial. This is a community radio station, so you hear all sorts of variety of news and music. And so what we're trying to do with this platform is to basically share a little of what's going on in other people's world. Right, right, right. What's going on? All right, so let me give you a little information. Some people might not know uh, who created Black History Month. It wasn't necessarily a month. February marks Black History Month, a federally recognized nationwide celebration that calls on all Americans to reflect on the significant roles that African Americans have played in shaping U.S. history. But how did this celebration come to be? And why does it happen in February? <laughs> that kind of rhymes. The man behind the holiday, Carter G. Woodson, a considered a pioneer in the study of African American history, is given much of the credit for Black History Month son of former slaves. Woodson spent his childhood working in coal mines and quarries. He received his education during the four-month term that was customary for black schools at the time. See, there was a time when we could only go to school for four months. All the other time, we had to be basically uh, slave labor capitalism. We had to be used to, to work land and things of that nature. At 19, Having taught himself English and fundamentals and arithmetic, Woodson entered high school, where he completed a four-year curriculum in two years. He graduated from Berea College in 1903 and went on to earn his master's degree in history from the University of Chicago. He earned a doctorate, a doctorate from Harvard. Disturbed that history textbooks largely ignored uh, America's black population, Woodson took on the challenge of writing black Americans into the nation's history. To do this, he established the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History. He also founded the group's widely respected publication, the Journal of Negro History. In 1926, Woodson developed Negro History Week. He believed the achievements of the Negro properly set forth would crown him as a factor in early human progress and a maker of modern civilization. In 19, now get this now, he started this in 1926. It took another 
50 or so years. In 1976, Negro History Week, is, week expanded into Black History Month. Wilson chose the second week of February for his celebration because it marks the birthdays of two men who greatly influenced the black American population. One, Frederick Douglass, who escaped slavery and became an abolitionist and civil rights leader, though his birthday isn't known, he celebrated it on February 14th, and President Abraham Lincoln, who signed the Emancipation Proclamation, which abolished slavery in America, America's Confederate states. He was born on February the 12th. For his work, Woodson has been called the father of black history, but I would say black history month. Um, yeah, so Carter G. Woodson, so to understand what he was now, see, he was self-taught. He worked in a quarry, and he finally got a chance to go to school. I want you to pay, make note of that. Um, you know, he, he worked... Uh, in a quarry, and at 19, he taught himself English and arithmetic. He completed a four-year curriculum in high school in two years. He had graduated from Berea College in 1903. He earned a master's degree from the University of Chicago, and then he went on and got his doctorate from Harvard University. So this guy was a, was a serious mover, Carter G. Woodson started Black History Month. You know, the first time I heard of Black History Month, I was in, basically I was in what? I was probably in my first or second year in high school when I heard about it. And it was most often called Negro History Week. That's what it was called. And we wouldn't use terms like black, and we wouldn't use terms like uh, we, we just had started using terms. We said Afro-American. We didn't say African-American. There was something about Negro history um, and, and in terms of the culture where people were, were ashamed. A lot of people were ashamed of being connected to Africa. During um, When I was younger, when I was growing up, they didn't want to make that connection. All we knew about Africa was Tarzan. You see this white boy come, and he would beat beat up about like 500, 1,000 natives. Be throwing them over his head, and you know, he could holler and call out to the to the, the animals. He would call out to the elephants, and the elephants would come and help him beat up on the natives. And the natives never could figure it out. And the white folks were generous, and they were accommodating that was with him in that, that film, but they were kind of misdirected, and he would have to teach them about the ways of Africa. But this this white boy Tarzan, mostly he was it was Johnny Washmeller. Johnny Washmeller was basically an Olympic swimmer, and uh, that it, so most of the time when you watch Tarzan, there's always these scenes where he had to swim about two or three lengths, and he was swimming real fast. And they just wanted to promo basically that he was an Olympic swimmer. So, you know, he really didn't have a lot of, you know, uh, it wasn't a lot of plot, and he didn't have a lot of a lot of lines. He would say. Jane Pretty, <laughs> come cheetah, you know, Tarzan hungry. <laughs> that's that's what we we learned about Africa. Hey, Wynton, how you doing, man? <laughs> so I was just talking to folks about what we learned about uh, uh, Negro History Week and then Black History Month. 
wasn't a lot out there dealing with that. There, although there were people who would give you some information, man, there was a lot of teachers that basically they didn't they didn't hold to the Negro History Week. They just taught you every day. They gave you some kind of uh, uh, indication. You know, they told you about people like Dr. Benjamin Banneker, who was the architect of Washington D.C. And he told they told you about Daniel Hale Williams and Dr. Charles Drew. One guy that did uh, open heart, the first open heart surgery, at Provident Hospital, the first black uh, hospital, and another guy created blood plasma. Dr. Chad, both African Americans, right? <laughs> and the guy who did blood plasma, I think it was, I think it was Drew. Uh, it was either Drew or uh, uh, Williams. I had to look it up. But the guy who who created blood plasma died in a, a car accident because he couldn't get a transfusion because he was black, and so they wouldn't take him to the hospital. So that he his own invention, <laughs> he he had made it, and he died because he couldn't utilize it because he was black, you know. And the white folks at the hospital didn't even know that the you know the transfusion and the blood plasma that he needed. Uh, was what he had invented. You're listening to WVLP 103.1 on your FM dial. This is Morning Black. And I'm your host, Greg Jones, and I've just been greeted and, 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 and uh, joined by Winton. Winton Jones. Winton Jones. How you doing, Winton? Oh. Winton, how you doing? I'm well. I'm well. Thank you. Okay, I'm sorry to keep your mic off. I was, <laughs> you know, I was ruminating about Black History Month. Black History Month. So, what you know about Black History Month? When did you first come to a, an understanding about black people did something more than just work hard and, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and and open doors and stuff? There was other things that was going on. When did you first come to some consciousness about that there was there was something else going on in terms of the expertise and the intellect of people of color? Um, I believe it was elementary school. So I went to Banneker Elementary School, named after Benjamin, Benjamin Banneker. Benjamin Banneker. Doctor, Benjamin Banneker. Yep. Banneker. <laughs> yeah. Yep, so. Did y'all learn about him? Yeah, I mean, nothing too in-depth um, as, as far as I believe all the information that we learned was, you know, basic surface level, you know, research about an African-American. We, we always had programs during Black History Month. Oh, yeah? So everybody had to Did present. Did you participate? Yes, sir. Okay. Got to dress up, learn some facts. Oh, yeah? Portray to be that person. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Did, who did you portray to be? <laughs> George Washington Carver. Oh, <laughs> peanut man. Yes, sir. Peanut man. Because, you know, the peanuts... Peanuts aren't everything. So he ain't, he ain't make the peanut, but, you know, he made peanut butter. He made 300 these. different products. Right, right. For he, the peanut. He never stopped. And he planted it in, in places where the nitrogen was low because the, the, the white folks had depleted it because of the cotton. The cotton had depleted the land. Did you know that? See, no. I, I had ah, no idea. Ah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, old George, George basically was a scientist. And he was trying to figure out how to put nitrogen back into the soil. And so cotton, right, pulls nitrogen out of the soil. It takes too much because of fiber. That's the reason why you have to, you know, you, when, you, when you plant it, you got to plant a partner crop. 
Mm-hmm. But you know, people were greedy and shit. Oh, excuse my expression, but you know, people were greedy. <laughs> <laughs> and so they, they didn't give a damn about the land. Right. They just wanted to plant the, plant the cotton and wanted the Negroes to pick it. Did you know my, my, my wife picked cotton for her senior prom dress? No. Mm-hmm. Wow. True story. That was the summer jobs in Tennessee. You could pick cotton. Man. So it, it, it's not that far away. People it's are still picking cotton. Right. You understand what I'm talking about? You hear me? You feel me on this one? <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's hard to grasp. I know my, my grandfather always tells me about how he wants to go take a road trip so he can show me yeah. where he was, where his family was. People are still there. I got a, I got a video I have to share with you. It's called yeah. The Cotton Picking Truth, where there's families in Mississippi still picking cotton. Anyway, I, I digress. Uh. Carver want to put nitrogen back into the soil. Right. And so that's why he plants the peanut. He plants the peanut in the soil. The peanut gives off nitrogen as it grows. So it thrives in, in that depleted soil. And then mm-hmm. it restores the soil at the same time. But he has all these peanuts, right? Right. That's where the 300 products come from. Oh, uh, okay. You got it? Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Captain America. You know, knowledge is power. Definitely. <laughs> Yeah, those those are the kind of antidotes, you know, the kind of nuances in terms of what was going on during, you know, the history of this country, that we often don't have a conversation about. Right. You know, you know. So that's when you first. So you was George Washington Carver. Yeah. Wow. Who was I? Was that? I, I was Carver one time. Yeah, I was Carver once. Yeah. It was. I was. <laughs> I was Carver in college. We did, you know, we did a little black history thing in college, and I did that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, what's your feeling about it? I mean, do you think it's a, a necessary thing? Black History Month? Yeah. Um, well, how do you feel about it now? How do you think it's being played? Uh, I think it's, <laughs> it's, it's unfortunate. I think it's played how, how the leaders of that time wanted it to be played. You guys want to be respected. You guys want to be acknowledged. I'm, I'm talking about the the superiors at that time, the majority. Uh, you talking about white folks? The wi- yeah, white people at, at that time say, all right, we recognize that you guys are important and that you want to be recognized. So here's a month so that all of you can appreciate yourselves for a couple of days and – that you was know, in 1976, though. That's about Be- that. Before then, it was like a week, right? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't something that everybody just wanted to deal with. Right. Basically, it was just um, individuals who were interested in it, you know, but it wasn't It wasn't basically uh, everyone's cup of tea, you know, so if you were interested in it, fine. Now, the strange thing about that is, you know, White folks are showing up at the jazz clubs. They're showing up at the <laughs> clubs. They're showing up at the liquor stores. Right. They're showing up at the restaurants. They're eating the food. We're taking care of their babies. <laughs> you know, we're doing all this stuff. Right. So they want they want to know, but they don't want to know. Right. 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 So I, th- I find that a strange, you know, warp in the social fabric that you know you 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 want to deny the fact that they built the country, but you want every thing that they do right 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 yeah black history month some fascinating stuff some fascinating stuff 
we're going to look at a particular individual. But how do you think institutions, academic institutions, are responding to Black History Month? You know, um, when you you went to Valpo, <laughs> how, how was Black in, uh, History Month played at Valpo? Um, we 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 blew it up. I mean, we gave we, we typically give a lot of attention to it. There's typically uh, a ceremony, like you know, I mean, you, you've been to all of them. No, 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 no. I haven't been to all of them. Yeah, I've been to all of them. No, I ain't gonna lie. I, ain't, I, you know, <laughs> I, I went when they invited me to speak, and sometimes I went. You know, early on, it was it was much more taken serious, like MLK Day right. when it first started. It was it was you know everybody yeah let's do it, and uh, but nobody everybody was never really really excited about it. That was outside of the community. It was an excitement for the students. Mm -hmm. It was an excitement for. Um, the teachers who were involved, those of us who were involved, but it never was like something that the, the whole university said, yeah, Black History Month. It was, a, it was a more like a toleration kind of thing. Okay, let's give them their month. Hmm. They get their 30 days, let's get up out of it. You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, so yeah. they were more excited about the, the International Day, visas stuff. And the reason why they was excited about visa stuff you know, that's Valparaiso International Student Association, I guess. I think so. Yeah. It's because the international community would cook, and then they would put on cultural kinds of stuff. Right. So they had this big banquet, and then people would dance and stuff from, <laughs> you know, from the different, you know, cultures right. and stuff. And so right. They was excited about that. But when they weren't excited about people said, well, let me tell you what Malcolm said. Let me tell you what... <laughs> Mega ever said. Let me tell you what Martin Luther King said about stuff. Let's let's talk about those two boys that raised their fists during, you know, the Olympics. That four by four, Carlos and the other guy. Yeah. Who never worked again, never got a job after that. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, so they just did what they 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 label that to be blackballed, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, they basically stopped them boys from having a career for, for them saying. Kind of did what to them what they did to Kaepernick. Right. Took a stand yeah. at the highest Those stage. They took a they had a high stage, they took a stand, and they them boys never worked again. Right. You know what I'm saying? They yeah. never and they had graduated from college and everything. They never got a a good job at anything. Yeah. Yeah, so it costs you, but that I mean you know, but that's that's an interesting history. But that was different. So, do you think it's effective? You think people are learning about themselves with Black History Month? No. No. Do I do I think people are learning about themselves? Right. You pick up a couple of facts. This is true, but in terms of understanding your identity, your history, everything that you know, your people have gone through every stage in life that, you know, we built ourselves up and knocked back down. Um, no, I, I don't think, I don't personally know enough about Black History Month. Like, Black History, I don't know enough Black History myself. So, for me to have been gone through 24 years of life and still not to know enough about Black History, but know a considerable amount of, you know, American history, uh, that's 
That's a conflict. That's a conflict of interest for me. So you know about the Buffalo Soldiers. I mean, you know about the Civil War, but right. you don't know about the Buffalo Soldiers. Right. You, yeah, or the, 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 the Fighting 54, which is a black regiment, one of the first black regiments. Right. It's like I know these stories, and I've picked up pieces more and more, you know, throughout time, but none of that happened within the, you know, educational scope. That all happened, you know, watching BET. That all happened, you know, you know, picking a few classes in, in college that might have showed some insight about, you know, the history of African-American slavery and on films and things like that. So to, to live and grow up and have a month to where you dedicate to figuring out who you are, who your people are, where you've been, where you come from, what you can do, what people have done, as opposed to, you know, understanding and obtaining this knowledge gradually throughout the year um, is detrimental, I believe. Wow. Wow. Why you say it's detrimental? Because we downplay, <laughs> we, con we continuously downplay the effects and all the work that African-Americans have done in, in America. Not only do we downplay it, we ignore it, we silos it to basically ancient history. All of our ancestors, all of our elders know all that we've been through, but our children, the ones that's, you know, supposed to come up and save the world, I, I still feel they, they're not knowing enough. You know, I see this, um, this little girl that they, um, yeah, that's a little better. And you know, because um, I want people to hear this one because, you know, I, I had to you know, <laughs> put my, my shouting mask on. I feel you. <laughs> Um, Gabby, the little girl that did the, the the poem at the inauguration. Yeah. Watch how they dog her out, man. They're gonna dog her. What I mean by that, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna wear her down. She gonna be, you know, white folks gonna be all around her, be you know, all under her, all over her. Like she's gonna get so many offers that she's gonna be spending. If she doesn't watch out, I hope her parents are, are conscious. She'll spend more more time at white folks' dinners, saying her poems, than where she fell in love with poetry was with, with, with black people. Hmm. That's one of the things that happened. They just get whisked away, right? Right. Like Louis Armstrong, you know, <laughs> right? Right. So that you worked many, many, many years in the African American community, and folks said. We discovered you, and, <laughs> and <laughs> then they whisk you away. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. But watch it. It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how she handles that. You know, it's thousands of little black girls that can can. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. Can right. can spit poetry like that. It's thousands of them. Tens of thousands. Yeah. <laughs> that can do spoken word. We are oral people. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So this amazing, amazing, erudite. She she speaks so clearly and distinctly. I'm saying hell. <laughs> there's <laughs> you know <laughs> there's thousands of kids that can do that. Right. You know? Yeah. And so she's a phenom. All because people don't know what's going on. Right. Right? And claiming that they do. You're listening to WVLP.
103.1 on your FM dial. <laughs> and this is Morning Black. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess we could lament, lament that, you know. How do I feel about it? I always feel that Black History Month doesn't go far enough. Right. Just about the time people start getting, you know, some clarity about some stuff. They break it off, and then they, you know, yeah. then, you know, it, it goes back to the same old stuff. It resets. So I'm saying, well, why do it? Why, why don't you just take that money that you would spend, put it in some scholarships, and let some black people go to their own community and do yeah. Black History Month. Right. Right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I said that about MLK. They ran me out the room. True story. True story when uh, Donnell Benjamin... Tari Thomas, these are some of the, the ancient students at Valparaiso University. When they were still pushing for a federal, you know, they wanted to holiday, all that kind of stuff was happening, right? Yeah. So everybody around the nation, after that, w universities were trying to figure out, okay, so when should we, should we have a Martin Luther King Jr. Day or not? And so Valpo has this chance, this going early when, early when I, I'm at the university. Long time ago, long time ago. You probably wasn't even born. Right. <laughs> right, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or you was a shorty, you know, you was out there. Daddy, daddy, give me <laughs> some ice cream. You know, you know, yeah. you, was, you know, you you was little. Right. And so we in this room with Lou Jean Walton and uh Linda Ferguson and Walt Rangering mm -hmm. and myself. And we arguing about should there be a Martin Luther King Day? Lou Jean was saying, let's do a King Day. We need to have a celebration. We need to, you know, do some things. Linda Ferguson saying, yeah, but I don't want the music department to get involved. I just want, you know, that ain't something I want to do. Judith Neville was there. Um, she, was, she hadn't come yet, but they had something called, they didn't have a gospel choir. They had like, like a little gospel ensemble. And so they were trying to figure out, well, what would they do, you know, on that day, that kind of stuff. And, mm -hmm. you know, what would the day look like? I said, the heck with the day. Give everybody, <laughs> <laughs> let, let, let everybody write essays. Best essays get full scholarships, right? <laughs> right. So give out about like five full scholarships. Say that money, and if people want to do something, do it. Or they ran me out the room. They did. No, 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 no. We got we have to celebrate with for what? For who? Right. You know that that was that's part of my radical past. True story. And they said no, no. They shouted me down. They said no, no, no. We have to do it. We have to do it. So I said, well, you know, you do it if you want to do it, but. People ain't gonna, you know, they ain't gonna respond to it, right? Right. And for a long time, they did it in a way in which people did respond because they had like, who who was uh, incidental in that was um, I forgot I forgot the the lady's name down, but um, it was uh, oh God I forgot it was Jane, yeah. Jane that ran used to run the uh, cultural center. Mm. She started a program, and and basically it was it was her, and it was um, Charles Gillespie, white. Well, you know they were important. They had something called like a peace week, where they would deal with issues of peace and environment and stuff like that. Oh, okay. And so they they morphed that. They took that. They did that, but they also morphed into uh, Black History Month. I mean, not Black History Month, Martin Luther King Day. Right. And then we had Martin Luther King Day, you know, which was pretty good for a while. But everybody didn't participate. Right. 
Most people did their laundry on that day. Yeah. You know, so they ended classes. So they just tried to make the kids come to classes, but the, the university professors didn't come. Right? Right. Then, then they got embarrassed by some folks, and so they made the convocation be the main thing of the day. So they would bring, so that was the idea when they stopped bringing in speakers. They said, well, we'll bring in top-notch speakers. Right. Although I, I wasn't getting why they brought Ali North, because Ali North was, you know, drug dealing and gun, gun dealing. So I'm trying to figure out, well, why would you bring Oliver North to speak <laughs> <laughs> at the university? Yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that. But, but they were kind of better at it as they went along. But it was one day, and then it was done. And then people went back. So it's the same thing in terms of Black History Month. Yeah. So I guess what I feel about cultural stuff is that it's cool if we're going to work on it and continue to work on it. Right. But if we're not going to continue to work on it, we ought to just leave it alone. Yeah. I mean, you know, just let, you know, give, uh, just give resources to the people who want to do it and let them do what they can do, you know. But don't play at it, right? Yeah. But that, you know, obviously that's an outlier's position, right? Right. Right, right, right. I think it's important, though. Oh, absolutely. I think it's important. You know, I think a community, a cultural community like African Americans, need to be aware of the people who participate. You need to know who made sitting chairs and mops and put filaments in light bulbs and, right? <laughs> right, right. right. You hear about Tommy, you know about Tommy Edison, but we don't know we don't know about Louis Latimer, <laughs> right? Who made the filament? Tommy was having a problem because the light bulb kept blowing up, right? See. Louis, Louis, his, his his assistant said, "Well, why don't you put this little thin piece of wire in there, and it'll take the heat off the glass, and the glass will last longer." <laughs> Snap! Right. Talk about Tommy. Don't talk about Louis. Right. Right, <laughs> well, every time we stop the car when the red light come on, right, and go when the green light come on, we don't think about Garrett Morrison, right, right, some of these other folks who made stuff, right. That's why there's so much energy that people uh, people of color give and say, well, "Wait a minute, do you know what we contributed?" Right, right. Did you know that? Did that time you stopped your car, that was a black man doing that? No. See, that's what I'm saying. And you could learn that stuff your whole life. Now, what you, now, now here's the secret. All you got to do is go to the patent office in Washington, D.C., and look at the amount of patents that African Americans produced and when they produced it, and you can find out that information. Hmm. But folks are trying to steal the patent, you know, trying to steal the records all the time. Yeah. Right? So we have to retain that information for ourselves. And if, if, if you're not excited about it, if you're just saying, well, this is America, so let me get mine, and you don't understand that a lot of the creative, inventive, and important stuff that makes this work <laughs> was done by African-American folk and other underrepresented communities, right? Right. Kind of like like talking to the folks who are trying to get across the border who are Hispanic and they don't know the Treaty of Hildago, right? And the Treaty of Hildago, when the Mexican-American War was fought, took the Rio Grande. 
so the land that the people that the 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 land that the wall is on and that the people trying to get back into was their land anyway. Was was taken from them. See? It's <laughs> crazy. And then, uh, then you, you get people calling you and say, misinformation, misinformation. <laughs> 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 I, I, I don't know the hell it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a problem. It, that's a problem, isn't it? Yeah. So folks are living... Paying taxes and dying and don't know what the contributions are. Right. Right? How are we going to change that? Why, why don't we just forget about all this? Well, let's just play some music and dance. No, nah, man. That's not going to work. It's not going to work. Why not, young buck? It's not going to work because, you know, at, at the moment, a, lo- a lot of people hate black people. A lot of people don't understand black people. A lot of people ignore black people. But the the crucial reality for for us and them is that we're needed to move forward in this world to make everything better. So until we get respect, until we get acknowledgement, until awareness is created, I don't think it's gonna change. And get this, you got people now saying, "Well, let the immigrants in," you know, from all over the world, <laughs> right? Right. So the brothers and sisters, you know, you know, African American community, yeah. Come on in if you want. But, <laughs> underst- but, understand, <laughs> but understand, it's a drama taking place here. Right. The folks who are, 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 are heralding the immigration changes, they're not telling the whole story. Right. They're just coming saying, come on in and write your story. And you say, but what about the stories that haven't been told already? So... Wherever they're coming from, it doesn't matter. Syria, you know, Africa, Haiti, wherever they're coming in. Question is, do you all know the whole story? Yeah. And who's telling that story? Right? Right. 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 That's, that's a, to me, that's a, a powerful, powerful, powerful issue that we need to deal with. Because who, you know, I used to, uh, you know, I studied history. And there was this guy named Collingwood, who's a, f- a philosopher of history. Hmm. He said, he, who, he or she who controls the past controls the present. And he or she who controls the present can control the future. So if you can, if you can help people determine what the past is, you can manipulate that. So you can manipulate what's going on in the present. And if you can manipulate what's going on in the present with, with what you've manipulated by the past, then you can... You can Manipulate the future because what you're doing is is you you're messing with people's information. Right. They they may or may not know what's going on. Like this sister Green is doing in Congress. She running around saying, "Well, Fanny Hook didn't happen." You know, 9/11. You know, th- that that was smoke and mirrors. And she probably into that whole, you know, misinformation. You know, it didn't really happen thing. That's, that's the same thing you look when you hear people talking about, well, the Holocaust didn't really happen. They didn't really kill that many Jews, all that kind of stuff, which is all lies, right? Right. But if you put it out there, right? Somebody going to bite into right, it. Right, because, you know, some people think Google is God, right? They think yeah. they, they Google it. It must be true, huh. right? Right. I'm saying, yeah, but you, you better learn about Google Scholar and you better learn about some other search engines besides Google because there's some – yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's important that we we deal with this. So let let me 
narrow this down. Let's look at somebody that you might not have known. Did you, you know a guy by the name of Henry M. Turner? You ever heard of him? Henry McNeil Turner. I don't think so. He was a bishop in the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Hmm. Right? Okay. But that's not his most notable accomplishment. More than any other single individual, Turner not only made a black theology of liberation the core of his preaching and writing, but he also helped implant the spirit of revolutionary revolution, uh, religion in the independent churches of Africa that were taking up the struggle against colonialism and racism in the last quarter of the century. So he was, he was helping the African churches deal with colonialism. Hmm. Okay. Uh, he was born free in South Carolina in 1834. For a time, he worked on a cotton plantation as a laborer then later as a porter in the law office where the young clerks recognizing his intelligence taught him how to read and write. In 1854, he was ordained by the black, by the uh, Methodist church and traveled all over the South. His life changed dramatically in 1858 when he happened upon the AME congregation in New Orleans and accepted an invitation to go to Baltimore for further training to become an African Methodist pastor. During his stay in Baltimore before the Civil War, Turner became convinced that America would never do justice to black people and that immigration was the only solution to the race problem. In 1862, he heard an address by Alexander Crumnell, and from that day, the mission of the church in Africa and the re repatriation of African-Americans became the two great passions in his life. Now, I'm gonna ask you a question, and then we're gonna get back to this guy. Do you believe in reparations? Yes. Why? Um. Mostly because the the step or the couple steps or the foundational money that that the land was built off of that we never got any of um, it it holds as a barrier for some people to make that next step into business or you know agriculture or whatever they want to get into they have no starting point unless somewhere along the line somebody hid some money like Trump's daddy. Like Trump's daddy. Right. right. Like the Kennedys. Right. Made their money off of whiskey. You got these families that are standing as, you know, the American economic powerhouses, and, and that's not necessarily their money. Right. They didn't earn it all. It was never <laughs> distributed evenly to the laborers of their times. We didn't even get that 40 acres in a mule thing. That's what I'm saying. Is our reparations important? To me personally, am I looking for any reparations? No. Do I think they'll come? If, I, if they gave it, would you give me your check? If you wanted it, sure. Oh. So you know, okay, keep that in mind. Now I might be calling you. You know, I might text you. And say, hey, hey. <laughs> I'm cool with that, brother. I'm just, I'm just sweating. <laughs> you know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I, I agree with you. I think, yeah. Uh, I think you know. That reparations got to happen. Right. I mean, you know, and I'm not just talking about affirmative action now. I'm not talking about just sending somebody to school for free, although that all happened too. Right. I mean, you know, all you got to do is, you know, not build two stealth bombers, <laughs> you know, and then <laughs> you send everybody <laughs> in America to, right. mean, to school. I'm serious. Yeah. So all you got to do is not not do some of the stuff we do every year in the military. Yeah. And, and the wasted money that we do. Literally. You know, we can send everybody who want to go to school. Who had aptitude to go to school? Right. That's what King was saying. That's why he got killed. King got popped because he did, oh yeah, 
People think he got killed because you think you think he how, what do you think kills him? Too much knowledge about what was really going on. Okay, so that's a general. So you make a good lawyer. You know, uh <laughs> specifically, do you think it was like uh desegregation and stuff like that? Uh no, I think he was getting into the systems. The systems at work. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It wasn't desegregation. It wasn't the fact that, you know, he wanted to desegregate the South and, and you know, people go to school together, little bu- black boys and little black girls. That's um, white girl. That's that, that, nothing like that. Right? Right. This old boy said, this king says, take the military budget, stop doing imperialistic ventures, and address the war on poverty. And the way that you do that is send everybody to school. So stop being a military industrial complex. Redirect that dollar so that whoever have the aptitude, black, white, brown, red, right? Right. They get to go. Right? Probably somebody saying, don't say it, don't say it. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. As soon as he said that, he did that at East Harlem Protestant Parish. He said it. That that was like, um, uh, uh, what was what was that guy's name? Uh, he he was basically uh, a congressman, and basically his daddy, you know, w- was the preacher. And basically, when he said that a year later, right, he was dead. Somebody shot him. Hmm. Now before all that, he was marching. You know, he, he people throwing stuff at him, you know, but he wasn't, didn't nobody bear down like that. Right. Right. He raised that issue. But get this. Henry M. Turner was the first to raise seriously the issue of reparations for the years of black slavery and regarded it as a necessity for financing the mass removal of blacks to Africa. In an article entitled, The Negro Has Not Sense Enough, which appeared during his editorialship of the Voice of Missions in 1900, right? This is 2021, right? So <laughs> about 120 years ago. He said, we have worked, enriched the country, and helped to give it a standing among the powers of the earth. And, we, and when we are denied our civil and political rights, the fool Negro, who has no more sense than a jackass, yet he wants to be a leader, ridicules the idea of asking for $100 million to go home. For Africa is our home, and is the one place that offers us manhood and freedom, though we are the subjects of nations that have claimed a part of Africa by conquest. A hundred million dollars of dollars can be obtained if we as a race would ask for it. The way we figure it out, this country owes us 40 billion billions of dollars, and we are afraid to ask for a hundred million. He's <laughs> unquote. He said that in 1900. Wow. I've never heard that before. He said that in 1900. He wasn't talking about no affirmative action. He said, just give us what we didn't work for. And we'll, you know, we'll go where we need to go and, and, and make it work. Right. Right? Wealth redistribution. <laughs> what do you think about that? That's Henry. And they <laughs> came after him, boy. They <laughs> I can only imagine. They ca- I mean, 1900? Yeah. This is, this is the same time Du Bois is writing The Souls of Black Folk, right? Raising questions about 
Du Bois has an issue on the floor. He said, and, and Carter has an issue too. C Carter, Du Bois, and Booker T. Washington are all raising issues during the same time. Booker T, everybody said Booker T was on the time. Booker T said, no. He said, learn how to use tools, <laughs> build houses, plant food, make clothes, and then get you some land and live. <laughs> That's what Booker said. He said, survive. Survive. That's what you need You need to know. That's where that, the, the Texas A&M, Agricultural Mechanics, comes from. Booker is basically saying, we need to teach African-Americans how to work with their hands and work with the land so that they can survive. Kava is saying, but you got to have an intellectual place. You need to know about stuff. You need to have the scientific information. And the boys are saying, and you need to know about yourself culturally. So all three of them were working together. Historically, they played against each other. Right. You notice that? Yeah. Right. Knowledge is power. Yeah. Right. They work together. There was, it was, it was three components of the same issue. Right. Right. But this guy is talking about reparations. <laughs> so when people say, well, let's talk about reparations and disparity. Hell, it's been, been talked about for 120 years. It's been, it, this guy p brought it up in, in the, the 1890s. He's talking about this. Before the 1890s, he's talking about it in 1858. Right? He's talking about it before the Civil Damn War. Yeah. And after the Civil War, he said, okay, now that we didn't fault, now that we didn't, you know, dealt with this. Yeah. We got the 54 Massachusetts. We got black veterans now. What you need to do is give people resources so that they can take care of themselves, whether here or abroad. He was, though, for leaving. Yeah. Leave America. He said, because they're not going to never change. What do you think, Dr. Jones? <laughs> um, <laughs> I still I still stand hopeful and, and thinking that it's going to change. Okay. Tell um, me why. Because the, the wheel's slowly been turning. It hasn't. I'm not saying that we're going to get reparations anytime soon. I'm not saying white supremacy is going to die down anytime soon. I'm not saying that African Americans will be dealt their fair hand anytime soon. 22nd century? Maybe. 25th century? Absolutely. Okay. So by the time Buck Rogers show up. <laughs> okay. All right. I mean, I'm, and you know, I'm not trying to be facetious. I'm simply saying that's the question that the, 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 African-American community asked, when will you get it right? Right? Yeah. And what I hear you saying is, hopefully by 2025, but no telling. Right. There is no telling. No telling. Depending on who you're talking to, who you're dealing with. Still could be some drama showing up. Right. Wow. Wow. So what do you tell little... Little Winton. What do I tell Little Winton? Um, do all you can. There is no, there are forces against you, but they can't stop you. That's what I would tell them. There's forces against you, but they can't stop. But they you. can't stop you. 
And why can't they stop you? Because the fight has continued for centuries and centuries. I'm not saying that there's going to be necessarily light at the end of the tunnel. At the, his tunnel. At his tunnel. But it might be. Right. Through your works, our, our people will grow. It's more light at the end of our tunnel than it was at our parents' tunnel. Absolutely. And it was more light at their tunnel than their grandparents, than their parents. Right. And so forth and so on. Right. I agree with that. Right. Just because it's not getting better expediently doesn't mean stop trying. Because it's only going to get worse if we stop trying. That's true. That's true. And that can't happen. But what the problem is, is the burden is, is so much game that's played. You know, you have to filter through so much minutia. Yeah, let me use that big word. Which is it's like look that one up. Yeah, minutia. It's just, you know, mess. You know, in other words, people instead of dealing with what the issue is, they, they divert the issue or distract the issue or they bring in their own agenda inside the issue. And that's not even the issue. The issue is like the guy said, why don't you just do the right thing? Right. Right? You know. You you gotta address the disparity. You you know, you know the facts don't lie. Right. Right. So, you know, when you start giving people information, yeah, live with it. There's not a hell of a lot of people in the black community that's getting vaccines. Right. In the black and brown community. Live with it. Let's make the adjustments necessary to, you know, to make it right. Right. Live with it. There is disparity. There is something called food desert. Right. In the urban areas where people can't get fresh produce and fresh food. Right. Right. We are giving our trash to the food pantries. <laughs> our right. outdated cans and our right. outdated food. Right. As opposed to saying, if we got people in poor people in our community that don't have enough food, let's concentrate our efforts on making sure that they get the best that they need to get as opposed to the worst. Right. That's not even a conversation. Not yet. You you hear what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. You know. And then, you know, so you, they're looking at you like you're crazy. Well, why are you starting all this stuff? And I said, well, what? <coughs> you know, talking about education. Say, well, if there's one person going through the halls in high school and, and doing terrible things in terms of culture, that's one too many. There ought to be a culture of inclusive, inclusivity. You know, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Diversity. C- inclusiveness. In, in our high schools, in our colleges. If not, then we have to build our own. Right. Right. I mean, if, if, if we're going to have high schools that's going to have bias and discrimi- discrimination in it, then let's just build another high school right. where that's not happening. Right? Yeah. I mean, if I'm, you know, I went to an integrated high school, and we bumped every day. We bumped <coughs> every day. Yeah. Right? Every day, man, we was it was in South Chicago, and it was three components, and we was we was getting it every day, on the bus, on the way to you know on the way to it, on the way back. So I know what the reality of that is, and it, it, w- it was no there was no shame in how it was brought. You know, if you was in the Hispanic community, you dealt with one thing; you were in the poor white community, you dealt with one thing; you were in the poor black community, you dealt with another thing. That's no way to go to school. Right. Right? But those folks at least realized the reality of it and said, well, we're going to deal, you know, we got to confront it because these kids are out here trying to kill it, they, each other. And so they, they had to deal with diversity. They had to deal with 
okay, he's no better than you, you know better than them, you know, learn how to work and live and stuff. I mean, at the high school level, right? Right. In a poor community. And you can't do it where the median income is fifty-five, sixty thousand dollars a year. Right. Right. Yeah, so that's what I'm talking about. The frustration in that makes people say, Well, sh- I'm just gonna get mine. Why don't I just deal with getting mine? But you're saying no to that, right? Right. Okay. Can we fix this? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Where does it start from your position? I mean, is is it education? Do we need to have more conversations about Black History Month? (laughs) I think we need to have more conversations about Black History. I think we need to stop focusing on Black History Month and start building it into, like, daily knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, you know so much more than me. It's years and years of information that I've been hidden, taken away, hushed, died down, and uh, we don't know enough, nearly enough. The, the perspective of America is off, completely off. Well, you know, I'm getting up there, and, you know, older guys, you know, ain't going to be around all the time. So, you know, if, you know, if you don't warehouse that information, that information could potentially get lost. I was thinking about that the other days. I said, man, where where am I going to get my books to? Right? (laughs) You know. For real. I mean, that's a real question. Yeah. So, you know, because me and Alvin, you know, we book collectors. So, you know, Alvin got this. I mean, Alvin has this huge collection. Alvin's a good friend of mine. He's a a black engineer. Mm. Right? He's retiring now. But one of the things he did in his life was he collected volumes of books. And he he has like thousands, thousands of volumes of historical archival information. And he just store them. Because there's no place to put them. Because you, you know, they're books, so you'd have to kind of seal them. They'd have to be in a place, and yeah. you'd have to have a library, and you know, people would have to have a library card to come get them and, you know, and bring them back and all that kind of stuff. Sound like that's what we need. Yeah, but I mean, you know, who's thinking about that? I know. I mean, people, you know, they, they, they whining about Affordable housing. So you talking about building cultural stuff? Well, I guess that's the next step then, getting people to see and understand. Well, you would hope that they would, but, I mean, that's just one level. And then you need a staff to basically do what you're talking about doing, you know, you know, retaining and, and making reservoir important historical information. That's something you have to, you know, you'd have to hire some people to do that. I mean, I've seen it happen in the inner city, deeply, you know, deep in the, you go in the heart of the <laughs> so-called ghetto. Right. You know, <laughs> you know, whether it's, and see, and that's the other thing. Folks think, when they talk about Gary, they talk about Chicago, they talk about East Chicago, stuff like that. Deep into that community, you know, there are folks who are committed. Right. I remember, you know, passing by a uh, library in Gary. Good library. I mean, you know, a serious librarian in there, serious archival information in there. I mean, information that people would n- have no idea about, like Gary's black middle class, like, r- like the reality that Marcus Garvey would not come into the Midwest except through Gary. You know, when he, when you mm. understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Gary was the central cultural place where he would come. 
You know? Yeah. See? And you don't hear nothing about that. Don't hear nothing about that. That's what I'm talking about, see? Well, that's where it needs to be then. You know, I mean, you know, uh, you know, only thing we hear is the Jackson Five. Right. I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying I love them, but you know, they Still. they wasn't, they wasn't the only thing. Gary has a five generation, maybe a seven, maybe a ten generation m- black middle class. Serious folks who understand about wealth. I'm talking about Black Wall Street people. Hmm. That's why people went there because it was a mecca. Right. Ain't nobody talking about that, man. Nobody. About, let me listen to your story. And then the old folks die off, and then, whoop, they're gone. And you don't even, that's just one layer of many layers of historical evidence of significant kinds of contributions that African Americans made. And you got to go well beyond Black History Month to start dealing with that. Right. Because it's, it's everybody. Well, this has, been a, this has been enlightening. Wow. What do you think? Should we do more of this? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. There's there's too much information. Too much information and too much misinformation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. About us. Well, I mean, this is one of the few platforms that we have to talk about, you know, building leaders and cultural knowledge. So, Yeah, <laughs> yeah we need to do a little something every day or... Uh, every every, every time every 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 chance we get every yeah. time we get the that's one reason why we're holding on here at black you know morning black and i'm saying you know you got to teach other people how to do stuff because look how long you you're going to have to do it just to give people basic information right see imagine you know and you know folks be talking about other things that they want to do and stuff like that but information is probably the most valuable thing that you can give people because yeah. then they can take it and do something else with it right I'm going to give you the last word. Talk about Black History Month and its importance from, from where we've come today. Uh, Black History Month is an a ancient stepping stone, uh, a way for people who don't know, who didn't know, who weren't aware that black people contributed something beneficial to America. What's needed to be understood is that that's barely the surface level the impact and opportunities African Americans have given to America and contributed in America, the list goes on and on. The information goes on and on. So it's our duty to seek that out, spread it, and protect it so that our future generations know what we can do, we have done, and what we will do to continue to build ourselves up and better in the world.